we're going to look at is deliverance, a crash course, all right? Um, not everyone was with us uh, this past Good Friday, uh, where, um, to be straight, there was um, clear demonic manifestations in an individual, um, and uh, probably even more clear from some personal interactions that James and I had in the back room. And then after the service, more of that took place. Some of you stuck around to participate and pray and observe and that kind of thing. And so um, it was a pretty unique, jarring kind of experience, perhaps for some. Um, to be honest, personally, I was just like thanking the Lord. It's about time. It's about stinking time. You know, uh, these are real categories within Scripture. These are not phenomenal. These are not even within Scripture irregular. It's kind of normal. It's normal to deal with the demonic. And so um, I figured what we do is uh, talk about um, a bit of perspective, biblical perspective when it comes to deliverance, but then just kind of throw out there, what practically should this look like? What practically should deliverance uh, look like? All right, so let's read Luke chapter 10. We're going to read verses 1 through 11 and then skip a few down to verse 17 and following. So Luke chapter 10, it says, After this the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where Jesus himself was about to go. And Jesus said to these 72, oh, it's such a familiar passage, isn't it? The harvest is plentiful. But the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. He states, go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. How does that sound? Yeah, what a rousing speech, right? You know, the game's about to start and the coach comes with his motivational speech. And there it is. I'm sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. And then Jesus says, carry no money bag, no knapsack. Not exactly sure what that is, but it sounds to me like a fanny pack or something like that, you know. No knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him, but if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking whatever they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Notice verse 9. Heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. It's a stunning statement. Let's skip down then to verse uh, 17. The 72 returned. And man, they returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And Jesus said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority. 
to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. So once again, I, I, I don't want a whole lot of fluff this morning. I want to get right to it. We're going to consider the perspective, our, our perspective when it comes to deliverance ministry, and then look at some of the practicals, how we do deliverance ministry. So first, what do we mean? What exactly is deliverance ministry? Well, a simple definition is this. Deliverance ministry is helping people find freedom in Christ from spiritual affliction. Okay? Helping people find freedom in Christ from spiritual affliction. Now, you may sit back and go, okay, but what is spiritual affliction? What in the world is, is this? Like, are we really, you know, even as we talked about the Emily Rose, are we talking about exorcism kind of craziness, you know, the heads twisting and, and all kinds of weirdness going on? What are we talking about when it comes to spiritual affliction. Well, it's important. Once again, we got to have perspective on all these things because within our culture, we are inevitably uh, shaped by what our culture says and how it views these kind of things. Uh, so for instance, we live in a polarized Western world where many deny any kind of spiritual realm at all. At all. This, and by the way, this is a growing reality. This is a polarizing effect on one extreme of our culture. People are saying, this spiritualism, it's not true, it's not real. Like, the things that are phenomenal and we just can't seem to uh, understand here and now, they seem supernatural, they're really not. Science one day will explain all of this. Psychology will one day explain all of this. And so we, we need to get rid of anything spiritual and just kind of set our feet on science and psychology. Ooh. On the flip side of that spectrum, the other polarizing effect within our culture is the rise of the nuns. Now, you may not be familiar with that. Not N-U-N-S, right? Not Catholic nuns, but N-O-N-E-S. Those who actually have no religious affiliation. They would not give themselves to any kind of system of religious thought, but they are highly spiritual. In other words, the way they view the spiritual realm is to say, well, if you want to do a little Hinduism, if you want to do a little Buddhism, if you want to do a little transcendental you know, meditation, if you want to goof around with any kind of you know, uh, spiritualism, paganism, what, whatever, if you want to pull out the Ouija board, but what, whatever you want to do, you just pick and choose what you want. It's like this big spiritual buffet. Go pick and choose what works for you. Fill your plate with what works for you. And you add then to these extremes our entertainment world. Man, I, you know, I'm just studying through this stuff. I was a little more aware. And, and it's like just yesterday I was sitting with uh, Jabari. He's not feeling good. And so... We throw up Disney Plus, okay, how do I keep this kid busy for, for a bit, you know, and entertained? And so he wanted to watch Moana, right? And so what do you, what do you have in Moana but a whole world view that's being addressed to these children, 
you know. And I, I have no problem with them watching that, right? I'm, I'm discipling my kids, helping them understand truth from error. But nonetheless, there's this inundation of just gods and goddesses, demigods, right, as Moana would talk about. And, and this whole worldview of why the world is the way it is, while, why there is brokenness, and why we need a hero to come and set things right. And actually, it's the it's little Moana who becomes the hero of the story, right? We're the heroes. It lends itself to the nuns, where we can be spiritual, but we're going to be our own savior in the end. It's a scary thing. So from our kids, you know, watching Moana to the good old Harry Potter stuff to uh, if you've been on Disney more recently, uh, The Moon Knight. Watched an episode of that. Yep, Tristan's like, yes. Right? Pretty sweet, cool stuff, you know, very entertaining. But it's, incre it's Egyptian theology and spiritualism uh, where, you know, there's these gods and goddesses coming and utilizing humans as avatars through which to accomplish their purposes in the world. So you can't get away, in other words, from just this inundation of spiritualism. And therefore, to see anything like we saw on Good Friday night is, is to be like, ooh, ooh, ah, what, what, are we, what are we seeing in this moment? Because we don't have we don't have perspective for it. Either we've given ourselves to, oh, that stuff's a bunch of craziness, and, 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 or we've inundated ourselves with a bunch of entertainment, and so we just have all these crazy categories when it comes to actually something manifesting, or we're kind of given to the nuns, well, yeah, it's okay, everything's kind of innocent, it's all a bunch of white magic. And all those perspectives, then, are absolutely deadly to what Scripture will show us. To just go through it briefly, in Scripture, we see that God creates all things. He creates both a spiritual, heavenly realm, as well as an earthly, physical realm. And check it out, this is not always preached even from the pulpits. Those realms, as God created them in Genesis, were intended to be one. Heaven was to exist on earth. God was to dwell with man. Heaven and earth were to be two realms that were actually one. And as God gave then Adam and Eve authority over creation, right, to cultivate it, to see God's purposes realized throughout it, we have then arrived in Genesis chapter 3, those, that famous passage, we're introduced to a serpent. Now, if you're standing in that kind of like science is God, you know, and psychology is God, uh, well, a talking serpent doesn't do you a lot of good, does it? It's like, what in the world is happening? Now, if, if we would consider as the serpent comes in and he's talking, you know, if you'd continue to read through the Old Testament, you'd actually come to find that these spiritual beings carry all kinds of different names. Some are spirits, some are angels, some are referred to as sons of God, some are referred to as a divine council, some are referred to cherubim or seraphim. And these names then depict uh, kind of the, either the function of that spiritual being or the ranking of that spiritual being. Interestingly enough, the word, the Hebrew word for serpent, is the same as seraph. 
which is, a, again, a kind of spiritual being, a very high-ranking spiritual being. And so if heaven and earth are to be one, right, it's not surprising then that Adam and Eve would have an, a spiritual being, a seraph, coming to them and speaking to them. That's not the shock that a serpent would be speaking. What is a shock is that we find there is a spiritual rebellion taking place. Because what that seraph, that serpent, begins to say is that, Adam and Eve, you need to deny this God. He doesn't have your best in mind. And so the serpent, the seraph, seeks to undermine Adam and Eve's allegiance to God, and we know the story. He is successful. Adam and Eve willfully chose to rebel against God. They chose, listen, this is so important for us. Sin is not just a moral misstep. Sin is cooperating with the authority of the enemy. That's huge for where we're going in terms of deliverance ministry. Sin is not just a moral misstep. You know, if you think through that polarizing spectrum that the world tell, you know, is inundating us with, oh yeah, sin is not, eh, sin is not that big of a deal, it's just your view of God and, you know, a moral misstep. No, what you're actually doing is choosing in your sin not to follow God, but to follow the enemy, the rebel, the leader of this heavenly rebellion. You're following it in his way. There are only two ways to live, folks. Following Yahweh God or following after the one who's leading this heavenly rebellion. Notice, if Adam and Eve would have stood firm in the authority that they were given by God, oh, would we have a different story in Scripture. They had authority to stand in. They choose, chose to abandon that authority to follow after the way of the enemy. They submitted to Satan, and with that, notice, they gave him the right and the authority and the foothold to have sway over the earth. Well, that might be, you may be like, oh, really? Like, Satan has now this power over the earth. Yes. By the time you get to the New Testament, Satan is referred to by the Apostle Paul as the god of this age. In 1 John chapter 5, verse 19, John will say, the whole world lies under the power of the evil one. Jesus himself will say in John chapter 12, verse 31, he says, Satan is the ruler of this world. So throughout the Old Testament, back to the Old Testament, we see Satan and his rebellion then continue to inspire more and more chaos throughout the earth, and man then willfully follows him. And so throughout the Old Testament, the beauty of it all, in the chaos, as this enemy, you know, is rebelling against God and leading this, this division, both in heaven and this, this influence throughout the earth, what we see in all of the chaos is God moves in. I love it. God doesn't stand back and say, oh no, what am I to do? He moves in. As soon as Adam and Eve sinned, what is God doing? Genesis 3, he's coming to them and he's promising them something. There is one who's coming. There is one who's coming who's going to set all this stuff right again. 
right? He makes the same promises then to Abraham. Oh, there's going to be a blessing that comes through you. That's going to be a blessing to the whole world. He says it to David. Oh, there's going to be one who comes through you and his kingdom will never end. It's this consistent promise that speaks of a Messiah who even as we heard on Thursday night, he's going to come in glory. The glory of the Lord will rise upon you, one whose kingdom and authority is going to have no end, and this Messiah will eventually banish the rebellion and restore heaven to earth as it was always intended to be. The Messiah is coming. This brings us to Luke chapter 10. <laughs> Who has arrived on the scene? Messiah. Jesus has come. If you'd even look at the next chapter, Luke chapter 11, Jesus will state, if it's by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Heaven is breaking into earth, so to speak. And with that, there is this power play between light and darkness, as we sang about. Jesus has come. Heaven is now intruding upon earth. Light now is piercing the darkness. If we could say it this way, a new Adam has arrived on the scene to take back what the enemy has stolen away. Now, as we look then to Luke chapter 10, Jesus makes a few things clear, and we're just going to take a few observations. There's so much in the text, we can only take a few observations uh, for this morning. Luke chapter 10 makes so clear that Jesus' authority is shared with his followers. His authority is shared with his followers, which means this, all who are following Jesus get, get to play. You're in the game. You're in the power struggle. You get to take up what we are referring to as deliverance ministry. You get to participate. If you're following Jesus, you now have authority, and you have authority that would function against the principalities of darkness. Does that scare you a little bit? <laughs> You're in the game. You get to play. You get the authority. Just notice Luke chapter 10, verse 1. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others. All right? In the previous chapter, the 12 disciples, those most closely following Jesus, they were sent out to do this same stuff, right? But now it's clear from Luke chapter 10 that Jesus is intentionally broadening this ministry to kind of, as we could say, the non-apostolic people, the everyday follower of Jesus, the everyday Joe Schmo that says, I'm going uh, after Jesus. In fact, one commentator states it like this. She says, Luke may have conceived of the mission by the 72 others as foreshadowing the period of the church when not only the 12, but many sons and daughters would receive the Spirit of the Lord and prophesy and thereby be enabled to carry out Jesus' work. You catch it? I think that's absolute. I, I think you have a massive amount of work to do to argue anything against that. 
Because Matthew chapter 28, the Great Commission, as you remember, Jesus is resurrected from the dead and he comes to his followers and he says, I've been given authority over all things. Go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded. Well, what has he commanded? He's commanded us to go do deliverance ministry. Jesus has commanded them to this ministry. There's more ministry than just deliverance ministry. Maybe we should say that. But this is not to be left on the back burner. This is not to be something that Christians don't know about or are startled when it actually happens. These are normal things. And isn't this then the testimony of the New Testament church? You look at the book of Acts, what's happening? All these kind of encounters are happening again and again. People are being delivered from demonic affliction. It's this ministry, this deliverance ministry, that Christ began, but we are to continue as his followers. Now, one of the nuances to this that we must consider is that it's important how we do this ministry. This is part of the perspective. Notice that in verse 17, it says, Lord, they come back, you know, they're excited. They say, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. It's clear that the followers of Jesus were actively speaking. They were actively commanding these demons to leave but they were not speaking kind of on their own. They were not speaking as dependent upon themselves. They're saying the demons were subject to us, to our commands in your name, right? In other words, the disciples understood who they were representing. In fact, in verse 21, Jesus will rejoice that the Father has revealed these things to little children. That's the language that he uses. We didn't read it, but if you'd read down a little further, it's beautiful. Little children, as we know, are not confident in themselves. Right? They're coming to mom and dad. Mom and dad, here's what I need, here's what I need, here's what I need. Right? And that's the whole point here. That these individuals are dependent, and who are they dependent upon, but upon Jesus in what they do, and how they act, and how they're these power plays take place between them and the demonic. They stand in dependence upon Jesus. And that, folks, is faith, right? It's a faith that demands a certain kind of humility. I got nothing but Jesus. There are many uh, illustrations where folks do not depend upon Jesus, and things go sideways real quick. Just go to Acts chapter 19. We have the sons of Sceva. They see the Apostle Paul casting out demons in Jesus' name, and so these, these, these are Jewish priests, sons of Sceva, and, and they say, well, it's working for him. Why don't we try it? So they, they pronounce things in Jesus' name, and the demon responds to them saying, hey, I, we, we know Jesus. We know Paul. But who are you? And there is a whole then fight that takes place, and by the end of it all, these sons of Sceva are running out of the house naked because they have been manhandled by a demon. This is nothing to mess around with in our own confidence, tossing Jesus' name around without actually knowing Jesus. 
It's the same reason why Jesus will say in Mark chapter 9, there's this epileptic boy and he's having these seizures and it becomes very obvious that a demon begins to seize him and try to cast him in fire, do harm to him in the midst of these seizures. And so the father says, disciples, come on, you've been doing this ministry, this deliverance, why don't you come and help me? And so they come and they can't do anything. Jesus finally shows up on the scene and Jesus deals with it, right? And then the question stands, well, Jesus, why can you do it, but we couldn't do it? I thought you gave us this authority. And Jesus' response is, these only come out by prayer. What is prayer? Well, it's a religious exercise to make us feel as though we're doing something good. No, stop it, stop it, stop it. I, I just, prayer is where we go heart to heart with the Father. We set time aside and say, God, we've got to have you. We have to abide in you. We have, to, we have to know that conscious communion with you. Folks, I, I, it's like, if that isn't your ultimate concern in the Christian life, like, rearrange all of life to make it your main concern. I must know my God. Not here. But here, I must have conscious communion with him. That's what Jesus is saying. You're going to lack authority because you're just, you're playing this mind game with God, this, this religious mind game. Yeah, I know God, okay. When you don't know him, you know about him. There's a real relationship, depth of relationship to have with God. That's what Jesus is saying. That's the stuff. That's true dependence. You are one who knows what the presence of God is. You've pursued him. You know his presence. And therefore, you can stand in his authority to see demons run and tremble at Jesus' name. It's the same reason then why Jesus will say, even in Luke chapter 10, verse 20, not to rejoice that demons are subject to you, don't even rejoice in the moment that they flee when you speak. Take no confidence in that. Don't take confidence in your gifting. Don't take confidence in the authority that's worked through you. But Jesus says, but rejoice that your names have been written in heaven. <laughs> Don't forget where your salvation has come from. Don't forget where your standing has come from. It's come at great cost to Jesus himself. Jesus has won you. You don't stand on your own two feet in the Christian life. No, you stand with Christ. So the whole point is don't get confident in what you've done, but keep your confidence in what Christ ultimately has done. Deliverance ministry is to be done with a clear dependence upon Jesus. So just to summarize this perspective, there is a real cosmic battle. You think everything's just white magic to kind of go to the spiritual buffet and fill your plate with anything? The enemy will dominate you. He will dominate you from the inside out. He is no, he is no entity to be seen as, oh, just innocent, white, like inconsequential, he will dominate you. He will have you. 
He is ruining too many lives. Open your eyes. Look around. Look around. Can't you see the cosmic battle raging? Light and darkness. It is, it is going on around us constantly, consistently. And when we think that there is no harm in spiritualism, oh, the enemy then just has a foothold to wreak havoc upon your life and all the influences that you have on others' lives. There is a real cosmic battle raging, and it will rage until Christ returns. And until then, we all get to participate in this ministry of deliverance, of seeing people set free from spiritual affliction as we abide in Christ and command demons to flee in Jesus' name. So that's the perspective. Don't be given to those polarizing effects that our world tells us to believe in. Now we need to see some practicals. How do we do deliverance ministry? All right, here's, and before you get too crazy, oh man, well, this, is, this is nuts, this is nuts, uh, just like dial it down. It's not nuts, it's actually just very normal. It's very normal. Um, how do we do deliverance ministry? The first question that we need to consider is how do demons actually afflict people? Like, what are we actually working with when it comes down to it? Here are 10 ways. And <laughs> demons resume, oh, yeah, you're never going to see that. <laughs> uh, I'll read it for you. Um, this is just a sampling of kind of a, a, a demon's resume when it comes down to it. All right? So first, demons slander and accuse believers. We see that in Revelation chapter 12. Demons lure and tempt people to sinful act actions. Demons incite false worship. Not everything is innocent. Not every system of belief is innocent. Pick and choose what religion you want to roll with. No, no, no. Demons incite false worship. Demons inflict physical suffering. One of my uh, kind of favorite passages on this point is actually from Luke chapter 13, a woman She's been bent over for like 18 years. Physical affliction. Demons can physically afflict people. She's bent over for 18 years. And when Jesus heals her, he commands an unclean spirit to leave. That's what heals her. So demons inflict physical suffering. Demons attempt to enslave people to sin. That's not just go underneath the L. Right? We know that. Demons blind unbelievers. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4 says that he is the God of this world, and he has blinded the eyes of men from seeing the glory of the gospel of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The truths that we're speaking about today, singing about, it's the enemy who's getting in the way and just creating all kinds of confusion so they can't hear, so they can't ascertain the truth of Jesus. Demons oppose the progress of the church. I've felt that one on a few occasions. <laughs> Demons spread false doctrine and inspire false teachers. That's a, I mean, that, that's as blunt as the Bible gets, right? There will be doctrines of demons. Demons then seek to destroy. Roaring lion, Satan is. 
demons incite then even persecution of the church. This is a small resume. This is a spattering of all the things that then um, that demons do. Satan and demons are active again in all kinds of ways, but when it comes to practitioners who actually do deliverance ministry on a fairly regular basis, what I've, what I've found in study is that there are four primary doors of entry that the enemy works through um, that most often will need some sort of deliverance ministry. Uh, first is willful and habitual sin. That's not surprising. Like, you, you, you do the same thing over and over and over again, willfully, habitually, like, the enemy is going to come and, and kind of establish a foothold in your life. Um, Ephesians chapter 4 is one text that points to this. It says, let not the sun go down on your wrath, neither give place to the devil. That is, don't let the sun go down upon your anger on your bitterness, right? It's going to seethe. You better deal with that kind of sin sooner than later. Why? Because if you just kind of willfully hold on to it, it's going to give a foothold to the devil. Secondly, trauma and victimization. Um, Certainly when it comes to trauma and victimization, there are um, psychological wounds that need to be tended to. Uh, But it's these psychological wounds that the enemy oftentimes prefers to exploit. He will exploit our deepest weaknesses. And he'll do that so that true deliverance or true healing cannot be found through these traumatic situations. Third, this is obvious, but it's, it's far more prevalent than what we probably give credit to. Witchcraft and the occult. This comes up again and again as I've studied deliverance ministry. It is like folks saying, I don't know. I didn't know there was any of this stuff even connected to me. Uh, But more than not, you find these kind of aspects um, that evidence themselves as deliverance ministry unfolds. Finally, then, this may not even be a category for many people, Uh, But generational curses, oaths, and soul ties. You say, what in the world is that? Um, Old Testament will refer um, in Old Testament law, Exodus chapter 20, Deuteronomy chapter 28, that when we sin, sin has influence on the next generation in different ways. Uh, As oaths are made or covenants are made, we see from Scripture that there's even generational impact to oaths, commitments, Uh, covenants that are made. And then there are soul ties, which is a strange word. It's not, these are not words that I'd prefer. I'd rather be working from text of scripture. But soul ties have the idea, and this this typically comes up in relationship to sexual sins, is that when you sleep with somebody, as scripture says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 16, you share their spiritual baggage. Right? That's why Paul will argue, don't take Jesus into that bed with you. That is not a place for him to go. You're actually resisting him and inviting demonic affliction into your life through the um, spiritual baggage of that other person. So these are the four that come up again and again. And, and by the way, I mean, if this is all new to you, at one point, several years ago, 
This was someone that was like, you gotta be kidding me. And more and more that I've studied it, it's consistent from individual that I respect about these things and how they handle scripture. Um, and and we, I'm seeing this again and again as folks actually are practitioners of deliverance ministry, uh, not just speaking theoretically. So these are the things that oftentimes come up. Uh, another question when it comes to the practical stuff that we gotta nail down, can Christians be possessed? Because oftentimes we say, oh, we don't, we don't need deliverance ministry as a church because, hey, if we're followers of Jesus, then what, what's the point? We, we don't need this stuff. Uh, you know, we got the Holy Spirit. If the Holy Spirit possesses us, nothing else can. It's just the wrong question. And it's a frustrating question to me. <laughs> it's the wrong question. The question shouldn't be, can a Christian be possessed? The, que the question should be, can a Christian be demonized? That's the word that Scripture utilizes throughout the Gospels. It doesn't talk of possession, so to speak. It talks about demonization. That's the word that's referred to oftentimes within the Gospel accounts. And so the question is, can... Christians be demonized? Can they be afflicted? And the answer is absolutely. Don't you feel it? <laughs> right? Don't you feel it? The enemy can afflict Christians. Now, when it comes to demonization, there's, of course, a spectrum. He, he, can, he can accuse us with, you know, with different thoughts. You know, and that could be spiritual affliction all the way to what we see in the demoniac where he's completely controlled right, by this legion of demons. So there is a full spectrum of demonization, and, and so then the question is, is can the Christian be afflicted in those kinds of ways? And I say, yes, absolutely. If you can grieve the Holy Spirit, you can also open up gateways for the demonic to afflict you, even then control you in some ways. It's why then Peter will say in that familiar passage, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. This isn't theoretical, Christian. This is real. He's coming after you. He does not like you. And so he will exploit you as a roaring lion his aim is to dominate you. His aim is to consume you if you give him the chance. How, how can this not involve some degree of control and domination? Absolutely. As a church, we need deliverance ministry. <laughs> Next question for the practical stuff is, when should someone seek deliverance ministry? Like, what has to happen? Do I need to have, like, a full-out manifestation, or what needs to take place? Well, the obvious here is, yes, if you are having demonic manifestations, that is, you are hearing voices, you may be acting out in various ways uh, that are involuntary, you may be acting out in unconscious ways, um, yeah, that could utilize some demonic, uh, some deliverance ministry. Um, but second, as David Appleby, he's a professor at Liberty University, I've read through his stuff, it's been super helpful, we have some friends that actually uh, have gone and benefited from his ministry, but he says if you've explored counseling, and you've explored therapy, and you've explored medications, and all this kind of stuff, and nothing seems to be working, why not try deliverance ministry? <laughs> right, you've tried everything else, why not 
try it. If you aren't finding healing through those means, it could be that you are afflicted by a demon. It, and, and again, this is not just like, oh, well, that's super strange. That's like the last resort. Like, things got to get super bad, and I got to be, like, manifesting like Emily Rose before I actually, like, do anything about this. And it's to say, no, this is simple stuff. I'm just going to say it. In our church, it would be strange to have uh, a church free from demonic affliction. <laughs> you are his target. Of course, you, you know, whether it's sleepless, whether it's bad dreams, um, whether it's, you know, ongoing sexual dreams and temptations and the confusion that, that all that stuff brings, if it's insomnia, all these kind of things, folks. We oftentimes go to the polarized side of things. Oh, everything can be explained by science and psychology. I'll just tell you straight up, when it comes to a lot of the psychology stuff, as, as I engage with folks and they've gone to therapists and they've uh, tried to receive help in different ways, there's a level of help, but it always seems to confuse the process. Oh, man. You know why? Because... Your, your therapist never points sin out in your life. Uh, let me just say, say it very plainly. What is anxiety? A physiological reality? Sometimes we don't even have to invite panic attacks, they just come. But you don't start with panic attacks. You start with a whole kind of like trail of, of believing that I can do life. I got this. I got this. I got this. And then when harm comes and I realize I don't have this, then suddenly, oh, then the fear steps in. Then the fear steps in. And I'm overwhelmed and I'm crushed. And then eventually down the line leads then to these, these physiological symptoms of panic attacks. But it started with a belief I got this. Let me just tell you, that belief, you may think is innocent. It's sin. You were never made to do life on your own. You were never made to say, I got this. You were made as a being to be dependent upon your God to say, I don't got this, but I'm going to trust in his purposes and his ways. I'm going to trust in him. Folks, the whole process of mess that my life has now run into has started with a wrong belief that needs to be repented of, a root cause to all this stuff that needs to rep be repented of. Yes, do I need physiological care? Do I need to step away at times and receive therapy? Yes! But your therapist, once again, never going never gonna to point you to the root cause of your sin. And just so you know, as sin happens... Let's get back to it. Perspective. Sin is not just this innocent, oh, I can take life on my... What I'm doing is I'm stepping right into the way of Adam and Eve. I don't need this God. I can do it on my own. I can choose these things on my own. And what that is is cooperation with the enemy, not cooperation with Yahweh God. Do you see it? This, this maps on to all areas of our life, all ways in which we've suffered. Again, do we need the, the psychology and the therapy and all that kind of Yes, because it's going to have physiological effects on us. And we need kind of to work our way back through all the chaos that at core this little lie has caused.
But if you don't get to the lie and you don't get to the repentance, you won't get to your Savior. And Satan will continue to have a hold. These are fundamental realities that we have to get to should we want to see true healing and deliverance brought to our lives. Back to the point. Again, if you're having demonic manifestations, that's good reason to seek deliverance ministry. If you tried a lot of other things and you just you can't seem to find actually progress and healing, uh, try deliverance ministry, right? And finally, when should someone seek deliverance ministry is when that individual really wants to follow Jesus. You don't want to be doing ministry on people who don't want it. Pretty obvious. Jesus will say, yeah, yeah, you, you, you in Christ's authority will have the right to cast out a demon. That demon will go into desert places only to pick up seven more demons to come back to this life that now is cleaned up and has some progress to it and things are going good and they'll wreak more havoc upon that life than in the first place. Where demons are cast out, it's Christ, his presence, his spirit that must fill the house of that life to keep that person from further suffering. So, when should someone seek deliverance? If you're having demonic manifestations, if you tried everything, and hey, why not? But also, it must be individuals who want to follow after Jesus. Now, finally, and this is the end, how do we do deliverance ministry? Like, like maybe, maybe you say, hey, you know, this would be interesting to participate in. Maybe you say, hey, this may not be a bad thing for me to actually go check out. You know, like, how do we do this? Very simple um, when it comes down to it. This is, again, don't think, you know, holy water and crosses and shouting and screaming and frothing at the mouth and all this craziness. Don't think that. That's not, that, that is Hollywood's way to confuse really uh, what Satan is doing in our hearts and lives. Um, it's simple. Here's what deliverance ministry would look like. If, if we got together, you're like, hey, James, Dan, I just want, want to come. Hey, let's, let's explore this. Here's, here's what it would look like. First and foremost, we get together and we pray for the Holy Spirit to come, right? Pray for the Holy Spirit to kind of protect us in the process and then bring the darkness into the light, right? That's simple. Hey, let's pray together. Right. Secondly, there are three places then to begin. First, a person can identify influences related to those four open doors. Maybe it's like, oh yeah, I have had involvement with the occult or witchcraft. You know, I, I, can, I can repent of that stuff. I can renounce any demonic affliction that's come with that. Right? So you, you can begin there. The person can identify the influences. Secondly, we can command the demon to identify itself and its function. Demons speak. If you tell them to speak, they speak. If you tell them to let the individual speak, they will let the individual speak. As you do it in Christ's authority, right? Third, then, it's to rely on the Spirit to give prophetic insight. So once again, that's where you, you start. Maybe there are some known things. Okay, we kind of know the influences at work. Well, we can begin shutting those doors, renouncing any demonic affliction through those particular open doors, right? We can command the, the demon to identify itself, or we can rely on the Spirit to just kind of lead us and give us prophetic discernment 
uh, and how to move forward. Third, then to we're gonna ask the person to renounce any uh, demon related to those open doors, right? That's the next step. Uh, if you were with us that Friday night, that was the process that we went through. Uh, it started in the back room, and um, I wanna be careful. Started in the back room, and it was very clear, uh, the manifestations. This was not her voice. Um, even when I asked who is speaking, it identified itself very quickly. I asked when it entered, it gave me kind of the date of when it entered. I asked why it entered, and it gave me the whole situation of why it entered. So I'm not sitting back just saying, ah, oh, but maybe this is psychological. All right, we, we have something that makes complete sense being brought. We know how the enemy works. We know that even the way in which it entered fit one of the four doors. It's like, okay, all right, let's deal with it. Now I'm running to jail. Okay, I'm not gonna do this alone. Let, let's get in there. Let's pray for her, ask the Holy Spirit to come, and let's begin then allowing her to speak so she can renounce this demon. And sure enough, after some manifestations and eyes going opposite directions and frothing and all this kind of stuff, she's, she, can, she comes to. And we can say, all right, we need to renounce this thing that happened. Do you remember something that happened at such and such a time? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay, let's renounce that. Let's renounce that demonic affliction, right? And so she was able to do that. And then we saw a release that came as we then, next step, commanded that demon to leave. Very simple, right? Now, we knew from Friday night, did the pro process end right there? Well, no, because well, there was more affliction going on. Um, and it's not to say, this is important to throw in there, it's not to say that there are plenty of other perhaps uh, disabilities at work. Once again, the enemy loves to exploit our weaknesses. If there's mental illness, he loves to exploit it. If there's victimization and trauma at work in these people's lives, he loves, he loves to exploit it. That's what he's gonna be doing, right? And so it's, it doesn't mean, even after dealing with all the demons, that there isn't further help that these individuals need, whether it's psychiatric help or counseling or what have you. So, number five, we continue those first few steps, steps two through four, until there's no more manifestations, no more demons uh, that are uh, showing themselves. Six, then we ask the person to confess their sins and ask Jesus for forgiveness, right? So it's, it's to close those doors completely, those influences completely. Let's get to Jesus. Let's make sure that the decisions that have made, the ways in which doors have been opened, that there, there, is, there is healing and forgiveness there, and we're inviting then the Holy Spirit to fill that individual and bring healing to all the wounds that they carry. And then, finally, number eight, we're recommending follow-up care from there, right? Both in how to continue to resist the enemy, but also then trying to find whatever care and help that they need, may need, whether it's uh, mentally, physically, or otherwise. So this is the simple process. Again, this is... Uh, the handful of situations that we've had on the ground, they don't get, it's not crazy, it's not nutty, it's actually very simple, but the Lord is so faithful to bring things to mind, opportunity then to renounce those things, ask for forgiveness, and see healing. Um, if, again, I'm just going to reiterate this, if you find yourself in a place where, man, I've had this sin in my life for years, and I just like, I can't get through it, I, I just can't gain victory over it. Like, these are the kind of things that should be a part of how you actually plan to get through it. Don't, don't assume, oh, 
you know, science and psychology is going to be my answer. Don't say, oh, you know, well, maybe I should try, oh, my. I hope I don't offend anybody. I, I'm going to try mindfulness. I'm going to try these, these, these mental games, right? Like, there's heart issues. There's a real spiritual realm, and Jesus has authority over them. And, and it's very simple. Like, Jesus wants your healing. He doesn't want you to remain in sin. He doesn't want you to remain in your woundedness. He wants to see you healed and brought out of these things uh, for his glory. So, uh, can I take a few minutes of questions? Any burning questions that you're just like, wow, yeah. Can you describe what happened on that Saturday when you know what he did? Sure. Um, yeah, and I want to be careful because in, in all of this, the other aspect is we want to protect the integrity of the individual. You don't need to mention names or anything. Okay. Yeah, so uh, there was an individual that came in towards the end. We'd watched the Passion movie, and then we were transitioning to uh, a service time of worship in the Lord's table. Uh, and as this individual came in, um, began talk talking with James and actually, like, taking his Bible and scribbling notes in his Bible, which was just like, what? And references, and, and so we actually double-checked the references, and it was like, oh, these... Like, this is not, this is not confusion. The, those verses went directly to certain texts that pointed to Satan and the enemy, and it was just like, I, I don't know even these texts. How is this person knowing where these texts are found? <laughs> you know, so, um, and, and then there was, uh, that individual kind of sat in the tent, and there was some disruption, and so I just went to the back to kind of check out what was happening. Uh, that person eventually walked back to me, and immediately as that person talked, it was clear, like there's something really, either a psychological breakdown is happening or a demonic manifestation. So then go into the back room, that's what I'm exploring. Uh, okay, who am, I, who am I talking to? And as soon as that happened, it was, you know, this demonic name, and with the name, clarity on when it entered and how it entered and all these kind of things. And then it's like, okay, we're off to the races. We know what, what's going on here. Um, as I brought James in the back and we commanded the demon to leave, um, after she had kind of come to, we, asked, we, we commanded the demon to let her speak, and it went from all kinds of manifestations to this calm and collected voice. It was incredible. Uh, and so it was like, hey, we can... It's, everything's okay. We're just going to be praying for you. You seem to be demonized, and so we're going to walk you through this, you know. And uh, so, and and that individual renounced particular things, and uh, you could see a release, you know, that the demon had left. And yet, then the <laughs> the service continued out here. Uh, so we're trying to juggle things, and and there were some interruptions during that time uh, as well, and so that was some of the reasoning for kind of being firm. I was like, these people don't have any clue the way I'm speaking very firm to this woman, and I hope they're not like getting the wrong idea. Uh, but after the manifestation took place in the back, it was clear like this th this is just another demonic ma manifestation trying to confuse and overtake the time, uh, and so it was to you know ensure that that was dealt with and she remained quiet until the end and then we prayed for her and there was so, some more. Uh, to be honest, uh, um, I think as we finished things out that night, 
I think it was evident that there was further demonic affliction, but there was also um, some mental issues at play uh, as well. Um, so we just wanted to make sure she uh, is, is being cared for. So, yeah, that's sim simple. I was going to say, um, you know, we, and I, I mentioned to you, I think last week, we went, went through it with a bunch of people um, like a bunch of years ago and spent about seven hours with a woman who was, uh, had demons. And, and there was no real, I kind of, no real kind of breakthrough unless that person would confess and then, you know, take Jesus as their Lord and Savior. That's yeah. the kind of the, the whole pivotal thing there yeah. as far as getting anywhere it goes. Right, right. And we were seven hours and we couldn't get that done and that was like, you know, we had to give up. I yeah. mean, it was, you know, yeah. we were like six until we were almost one in the morning yeah. with a person. Yeah. You know. yeah. And she was, the, the fear with her was she was going to hurt her son. Mm. She was going to give her son over to the devil. Yeah. And she was hanging around the preschool and she had all these kind of demonic things about kids she was saying. Mm. Finally, we had to get the police involved and everything to take her out. Yeah. But, um, yeah, that was the deal. Yeah. The, that the, seemed to be the pivotal thing. Right. Yeah, demons are wily, and they, they want to confuse and drag out things again and again. Um, and, and so that, that is part of the reasoning of commanding the demon, too, to let the individual speak. We want to identify the entry point of that demon. And so that's a cooperative effort. The demon may be manifesting and giving information. They're liars. They're absolute liars. And... Um, you know, the, some, some of the interactions that I've had with, with others as they've told stories is, you know, demons will give a thousand different names and a thousand different ways in which they entered the person and just keep you looking and looking and looking and looking and looking and looking. And it just gets absolutely nowhere. So it's, it, it, it's utilizing the individual to gain clarity on what is actually true uh, in those situations and then working from there. Yep. Any other thoughts, questions? Weird stuff this morning? Yeah. All right. Uh, since we're going a little over, that is gone. All right. Uh, let's just take time to pray. Uh, two things that I really want to pray for. Um, what happened on Good Friday, um, I think. I've asked the Lord, Lord, like, kickstart this thing. Just kickstart it. Make it something that is prevalent, not something that is exceptional. Right? Uh, make, make it just a normal thing. Uh, that doesn't have to be extravagant and crazy and shouting and all this kind of stuff. Um, it, it is a power play. It is a play of authority, uh, no doubt. And so sometimes we have to be firm. Uh, but nonetheless, it doesn't deserve all this screaming and yelling and, you know, bringing out the crosses and the holy water and all this kind of stuff. That's not in the text, by the way. No holy water, no crosses. Uh, it's not there. It's just, hey, you have authority in Jesus. Exercise it. Put it to use. Call those demons to leave, uh, to submit in Jesus' name. Um, so two things that I want to pray for is the Lord would just kickstart things. Um, that he would show us where the enemy is at work in individuals' lives. Um, but then on, on the flip side, I, I've asked, Lord, clean us out. 
clean us out. Like, like start with us. Don't start out there, you know, street ministry. Just start within. Um, and, and some of the things that we're going through with others in the church right now, we're just slowly processing life, the four doors, you know, and, and renouncing those things and setting those things. And there's been no crazy manifestations, but we're seeing God work. And it's, it's beautiful. There's a lot of baggage to our lives that we actually haven't brought to the cross, you know, and that's just part of, part of the journey. And so the, the, the prayer is just, Lord, you know, clean, clean us up. So let me pray that. And uh, you want to end at least with a benediction? Give us a word, man. Sorry to put you on the spot. All right, let's, let's pray together. Uh, Lord, we, we are so thankful uh, for the authority that we have in your name. That as uh, Ephesians 2 says, that we are seated with you in heavenly places. We are heaven's royalty. We are called sons and daughters. We stand in your authority, Jesus. And so we thank you. And Jesus, we, we thank you that we are your representatives when it comes to this battle between light and darkness. What a privilege. Thank you that we are not just those who passively stand back and just kind of do our Christian life, but we get to invade the darkness. We get to step into these things with your power and your authority to see your purposes brought about. Jesus, oh, if we could only know your heart for the healing of people. You want to see their freedom. As you said, I, I've come to give life and life abundantly. Jesus, we recognize and we, we confess with you that you are life and life in abundance. And so, Lord, we know there's an enemy who wants to kind of keep us in the place of woundedness. He wants to keep us in the place of being spiritually crippled. But Jesus, you have not died to leave us as spiritual cripples. You have died so that we might be set free. And so, Lord, I pray that what you started last Good Friday, you might do something, uh, you might continue it. Lord, let it be that your spirit now comes and fans that into flame. Lord, that we begin seeing perhaps even ministry taking place within our homes, that where there are dreams and afflictions and thoughts that come against us, where there's past wounds um, that, that are very still open in our lives, Lord, I pray that there would be a work that we would be able to recognize we stand in the authority of Jesus and we have the right to come against that enemy who's bringing those thoughts, who's keeping those, those wounds open. Jesus, break in with your power and authority. Give healing to those whom are yours. And Lord, um, again, we just recognize by your wounds we are healed. By your wounds, we are healed. Your heart has been proven in your cross. You have shown us you want healing for our lives. And you would die. Your body would be broken so that we might be made whole. And so, Jesus, we confess that there is healing um, in your blood. There is healing in your cross. It is your heart for your people that life and life abundantly might be true. So even now, Lord, let us, let it be that you would clean us all out, that you would disconnect us even from generational curses and ties, uh, from soul ties. Lord, clean us up. So even in Jesus' name, for those under my voice, Lord, we pray that you would break those cords, generational ties, generational curses and oaths, those soul ties. Lord, we break them 
in Jesus' mighty name. Uh, Lord, uh, let, as, you're, as the Holy Spirit, you just bring those, those big old clippers, those heavenly clippers, and you just cut off all the ties that we have to the past. We stand in you now. You died so that our past would be nailed to the cross and all the generational stuff with that. So, Lord, we break it off in Jesus' name. We declare wholeness over your people in Jesus' mighty name. Lord, clean us up, clean us out in Jesus' name. And would this begin to spark, Lord, something of an ongoing deliverance ministry? Give people, give myself even just the humility to say, hey, this might be helpful. Let's go after it. Let's see what God has. Let's take time, slow down, wait on the Spirit to reveal what ailments are here. So Holy Spirit, we, we give you sway upon our lives. We give you sway upon this ministry. Lord, and even as it relates to deliverance ministry, Holy Spirit, we give you sway. Come, do the work that only you can do, we pray. Lord, I pray that you take all, oh man, all the covert demonization that's happening. There's affliction taking place in the darkness. There's affliction taking place in cover. And Lord, we just, we cry out Psalm 60, that the glory of the Lord would rise upon our souls, that the light of your presence would pierce into the darkness where the enemy is at work, covertly working his stuff to just keep us immature in the faith, keep us broken down, crippled Christians. Lord, we invite your glory, we invite your glory, your presence into our lives. Lord, I pray for many who aren't here today. Pray for the ones who even came forward last week, who are seeking you. Oh, how the enemy loves to blind the eyes, seeing the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that you would go after them in your power and your might, that you would tear down the confusion of the enemy, and that would, you would cause their eyes to be open to the glory of the gospel. Lord, for the many ailments that are represented within our church body, Lord, from, from addiction, to just mental difficulties, to relational conflicts. Holy Spirit, we pray against those things and ask you, Lord, would, would you, even as you're reminding, would you, would you raise up the ministry of Elijah to see the hearts of the fathers turn back to the sons and the sons to the fathers? Lord, reunite, reestablish, bring health, and unity to family units. Lord, we pray against all kind of, um, all of that kind of selective transparency where families kind of put on a veneer bef be before one another and say, this is how we act, but you don't know the real me. Lord, we pray against that. Pray against it. Tear down the veneer, Lord. Tear it down. If we're standing in, with, a, with a veneer, we're not standing in you. We want to stand in you. Lord, I pray that you'd unify these, these families. 
Bring your mercy, bring your grace to it, bring repentance. Lord, we confess once again, and then I'll let James do his thing. We confess once again that we are, this, these are matters of life and death. These are matters of spiritual health. So Lord, we cannot, we cannot take these things lightly. I refuse, I refuse, I refuse, I refuse to stay in some sort of kind of religious box. Jesus, even in seeing certain things recently, you convicted my heart. Oh yeah, any man can build a church. Through all kinds of godless strategies, we can build a church. But if you are not there and your power is not at work, what? What is it? But another powerless assembly of people. Jesus, we will not be content. We will honor your cross. We will honor your blood. We will honor all that you have died for. We must and we will to see freedom brought for the, to those whom you have saved with your blood. We won't rest. We'll continue to fight to see your people set free for your glory for the sake of your name. In Jesus' name, amen. I wasn't planning on sharing this up until about five minutes ago. I don't know if I've ever told anybody this. I don't know if I've told my wife this. Um, so it's a little bit humbling, yeah, to stand up here and say this. Um, but when I was about 12 years old, I was hanging out with some friends in the neighborhood. One of the friends had an older brother who asked me and my friends if we wanted to be hypnotized. And, you know, 12 years old, like, sure, this sounds cool. And so my friend's older brother kind of walked us through this step-by-step -step of what it would take to become hypnotized and then gave us an assignment list of, like, how to prepare for that to go home and do those things before the next day. And so from that day, from 12 years old um, until I was 21, I was controlled by this incredibly dominating sexual lust that I could not shake, could not shake it. And it wasn't until when I was 21 years old that I confessed my sins before the Lord and others that I experienced freedom from that. And um, to reference again Acts 19, what you see happening there with um, the people in Ephesus who were practicing black magic they confessed their sins before the Lord and before others. They divulged their practices, and then they burned all of their magic books. There was complete renunciation, and everything, every attachment to that way of life was burned. And it was even to the point that the worth of those books was 50,000 pieces of silver. So it was very costly to them. And so the reason I just want to share this with you is I didn't even connect what happened when I was 12 years old um, 
until several years ago going through the freedom in Christ stuff. And there's this inventory of like, have you ever experienced this, this, this? And I, I strongly believe that there was demonic influence taking place going back to that moment when I opened myself up to become hypnotized by this friend who was involved in who knows what. Um, and so I just wanted to share that to say, like, there's probably other stories like that in you guys' lives. And um, it is my heart and Dan's heart as we follow the Lord um, to see freedom happen in those situations. Okay? And so with that being said, I want to read from Ephesians chapter 3. Paul says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, so that you may be filled with the fullness of God. Lord, I pray for that, for this church family. I pray that they would be filled with the fullness of God and that the works of the enemy, the deeds of the flesh, the patterns of the old man, Lord, would you, as Dan said, clean us out. We want to expose those works of darkness, Lord, where there has been partnership with demonic influence. Lord, we want to be free from that. We want to be walking in freedom, the freedom that you have purchased by your own blood for your own glory. Lord, we just want to walk in that freedom completely and fully. And so, Spirit of God, I pray that you would work among your people. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Grace and peace. Yeah. Any prayer needs, as always, please come receive prayer, okay?